Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek. And in this episode, I'm joined by my friend, my colleague, and the president of the Golf Writers Association of America, Beth Ann Nichols. Beth Ann is, without a doubt, and yes, I'm biased, but it's true. She is, without a doubt, the premier writer and reporter about women's golf in the world right now. She is it. And she and I in this podcast go deep on the U.S. Women's Open, which is going to be taking place, obviously, this week at the Olympic Club in San Francisco, California. We talk about the course, we talk about the course setup, and what the USGA is trying to do to elevate the status of not just the U.S. Women's Open, but but women's golf in general. We talk at length about many of the American players, Jessica Corda, Nellie Corda, Danielle Kang, Lexi Thompson, Michelle Wee West, and we really try and get into what we think is going to happen this week at Olympics. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and let's talk some women's golf. So before I bring Beth Ann on, there's one thing I've got to explain about what you're going to hear. See, Beth Ann travels all over the place coming women's golf, and this is probably the busiest time of the year for her. So we had to pre-record this podcast to make it a true U.S. Open preview podcast. She was last week in Scottsdale, Arizona at Greyhawk Golf Club covering the U.S. Um, excuse me, covering the NCAA championships for the women. That was held at Greyhawk, and that she did some great reporting on those amazing stories there. Then she flew off to San Francisco and was starting to get herself settled in to get ready to cover the Open. So we had to pre-record this podcast, which we do all the time. And one of the topics that we discussed is who was going to be the next LPGA Tour commissioner. And at the time, we didn't know who that was going to be. Mike Wan, you know, taking over for Mike Davis at the USGA in July. At this point, you know, when we recorded this, we didn't know. Well, lo and behold, about 24 hours later, Malio Marco Saman was named the new LPGA Tour commissioner. And I'm not surprised that they played it as close to the vest as as they did, they being the LPGA Tour, that's completely their prerogative. Bethann is as knowledgeable about this stuff as anybody, and she didn't know. We knew that it was down to just a couple of people, but we didn't know that Marco Simon was going to basically be named the LPGA Tour Commissioner between the time we were recording this and the start of the U.S. Women's Open. There is sort of this unwritten rule that the different organizations that run golf try to avoid stepping on each other's toes around their major championships. You're not going to get a big USGA announcement during Masters Week. And the British Open folks and the RNA are not going to make big announcements during the PGA Championship. Everybody wants to play nice in the sandbox. So the timing on this was going to be weird, and it just worked out that way. You can read quite a bit about the new LPGA Tour Commissioner on GolfWeek.com now. Uh, Beth Ann immediately started writing and reporting and, and getting the scoop on all this kind of stuff. But when you hear us talking about not knowing who the next LPGA Tour Commissioner is, understand that uh, we had to pre-record this, and that is just the way it goes. So without any more further ado, here is Beth Ann. And now I'd like to welcome back to the Forward Press Podcast my esteemed colleague 
And I have to say that now because she's got a much better title now than I do. Beth Ann Nichols is not only a senior writer with Golf Week and GolfWeek.com and as well as USA Today Sports. She is the first female president of the Golf Writers Association of America. And Beth Ann, if you thought that you were going to come back to the pod after getting that uh, about now two months ago, month and a half, two months ago now, you were sadly mistaken. Congratulations, El Jefe. Thank you. Thank you. So do, <laughs> do you have wild. to change? Do you have to change up your business cards? And do, do people bow or genuflect <laughs> when they when you walk down the street? Uh, not quite. My life hasn't changed too much in that regard. <laughs> well, for for people who may not know, tell people like I mean, the Golf Writers Association of America. This is pretty inside baseball, but it's important mm-hmm. for us because it's an organization that we all belong to that essentially makes it possible for us to try and do our jobs better. Which means that the better we we can do our jobs, the more content, the better the content people get on our websites, in newspapers, all, all over the place. Um, what does the president of the Golf Race Association do? <laughs> yeah, so we we have, we, we turned 75 this year, uh, which is really cool. Uh, there's about 750 members. Uh, you nailed it. Um, you know, ensuring the best working conditions possible, the best access, which is, um, you know, a big question mark right now with COVID yeah. restrictions and, and how much the landscape has changed in the past year, what it will look like going forward. Uh, so, um, you know, we're still in a transition period with COVID. Obviously, things are, are opening up and different, but there's still a lot of restrictions in place. And it varies from tour to tour, really, and, and, and event to because of location in large part. Uh, but you know, it's also a great opportunity to network uh, within the organization, mm-hmm. and and we have a really cool dinner at Augusta every year. So <laughs> there's a there's a, there's a lot of a lot of fun parts. Which means that this time you're going to be hopefully when we go back to Augusta in 2022, and I cannot believe we actually have to say now 2022. Um, Wild. That it's it's just crazy how it's going by. That you're going to be up on the stage. You're going to be handing out hardware. You're going to be giving the big speeches. You're going to be like doing. The, I'll be down <laughs> with the plebs in the back eating the rubber chicken. <laughs> but it's good to know that Golf Week in USA Today has got some representation there. The last time you were on the podcast, or one of the last times you were on the podcast, we were the U.S. Women's Open, in that case, Texas, being played down there at Houston. It was at Champions. And you just mentioned, obviously, with with COVID, the, the world is sort of a right now. Um, truth in advertising, we're recording this podcast for the U.S. Women's Open, which will be held in San Francisco at the Olympic Club. And we're going to talk mostly about that. But right now for the LPGA Tour, what is sort of the state of the state as far as fans coming back? There were fans. Are they trying to get back half the people on site, a quarter of the people on site? How much do they have to play things on a local level to try and get back some of the, the excitement that obviously we saw at Kiowa, which was bananas, and different PGA Tour events are now bringing in the crowds. What is the LPGA Tour doing on that? Yeah, so Kingsville was the first week that we saw fans um, outside of just, you know, volunteers whose shifts are done and they're coming back out or people who yeah. live on property at, you know, at, at whatever course, like Nona, wherever they happen to be uh, outside of members. So uh, so that that was cool. We'll, we'll see fans at the U.S. Women's Open. That'll be the first time that we'll really see, you know, a, a large gallery that will feel somewhat, back to normal, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, exactly how it won't, it won't look, you know, like, like Lancaster was, you know, 2015, Mm -hmm. which was amazing from a gallery perspective, it won't look like that, but it will feel good. You'll be able to hear a roar, you know, 
uh, players are, you know, testing's changing in that, uh, you know, if you're vaccinated, you no longer have to have a COVID test every week. If you, mm-hmm. if you are not, you, you still are required to COVID test. So, um, so you know, they're definitely, um, you know, players can actually, they can, they can go out to eat at a fa- and sit outside at a fast food restaurant. That was, this was the first week, uh, Kings Mill was the first week they were allowed to do that. What, what, uh, every, what every athlete should be having right, is a happy meal or, you know, right. a fries. It's great. <laughs> it's great. Uh, Go so, walk 18 so with that. You know, the, it's, uh, it's, it's slow goings on the LPGA in, in that regard. But, uh, you know, they're they're But to their credit, they've gone to Thailand and Singapore recently mm-hmm. and taken the bubble to Asia. So, you know, while, you know, you don't see players eating outdoors on the LPGA or indoors, you know, for, for long periods of time. And that's still strict. I mean, I give them a lot of credit for being able to, to host events oh, yeah. in Asia and bring everyone back. It, it feels like, uh, you know, at least here in the United States, we've started to, tr- to legitimately turn the corner. The, um, the positivity rates in a lot of people are getting vaccinated, which is, which is great. Um, it seems like most of the athletes that I've heard by and large, are embracing it. We've heard some pushback from caddies on the PGA Tour. You've sort of seen anecdotally and maybe some of the players you've talked to, do you think that most of them are looking forward to or will have been vaccinated? Is there a feeling that sometimes that they don't want to get vaccinated? Where do most of the women stand on that? It's, it's hard to say. We're still, I think, early goings on that in terms of um, any numbers and the tour's not mm-hmm. sharing any numbers. I definitely... Think there are there are players in both camps that won't get. There definitely are players that don't want to get vaccinated. Um, so mm-hmm. it's, but in terms of percentage wise, I honestly can't tell you. We're still uh, still still figuring all that out. <laughs> well, for, so you're going to be at the U.S. Women's Open. Um, I'm going to be at the U.S. Open, which will be taking place two weeks afterwards at Torrey Pines. And I have heard that if you have been vaccinated, then you don't have to get tested, which would sort of make sense at least um, in San Diego, is that, for the, from what you understand, going to be the protocol when you're at Olympic? Yes, that is the case. If you, if you have not been vaccinated, you're encouraged to take a pre-test before you leave, uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, you will be tested as well before you're allowed on property. Uh, and if you've been vaccinated, you can go right on it. <laughs> yeah, well, so when we were talking about champions, and that was – amazing to have the u.s women's open really it felt like gather the whole spotlight of golf and really sort of i'm not going to say have its moment because there have been a lot more things than that it was a fantastic event it feels like the lpga tour is still riding some of that momentum there is still a lot of people talking about women's golf um obviously you know as we're recording this the ncaa championship is is going to be going on and you know that we're going to get some momentum off of that but it feels like there is sort of the sustained feeling that like women's golf is getting more buzz around it than there potentially had been, or at least it's more sustained. You know, there's peaks and valleys and everything. Do you you sort of sense that? Does the LPGA Tour and the women who are competing sense that as well? I certainly sense it from the standpoint that I feel like when the women had sort of the stage alone in December and the 4% number was being thrown around in terms of the amount of coverage that women get, I do Mm -hmm. think that there were people in the media and influencers who took that to heart and are making more of a concerted effort to follow and to, uh, you know, promote, shall we say, you know, to, mm-hmm. to, to see, to give some love to the women's well, game that otherwise they might not. It's, 
it's been a big cause on social. I mean, like sort of like let's call mm-hmm. it what it is. I mean, Michelle, we designed up um, the hoodies that got a lot of play on social media. The USGA, again to their credit, had a T-shirt campaign that you know they sent out a lot of stuff and people really picked up on them you know that she is they are worth watching mm-hmm. and those are the kinds of things that i think a few years ago they, they just didn't happen you know and there's this like sort of recognition that you know that that there needs to be more support and and there seems to be traction gaining that is supporting them absolutely and i think starting the year off with jessica corda winning and shooting 60 on saturday you know and having that tremendous all-American group of Danielle Kang and the Quarter Sisters, you know, and on the final round, um, certainly helped to sustain and carry that momentum that that started and and it felt really felt like it started in Houston. Uh, and 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 you know, we've had some fantastic champions and so many great comeback stories on the LPGA as well, right? It's the theme of all of golf right now. And and the LPGA has had its fair share too, with you know Lydia Ko and, and Brooke mm-hmm. Henderson. And- victory from marriage Jatana Garn. So, you know, a lot of a lot of fan favorites and 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 stars, you know, coming back into the winner's circle certainly helps the cause as well. So, uh, and I think we've just had lots we've talked about this a lot and you cannot talk about it enough. The venues, people are looking forward to Olympic. They're looking forward to Carnoustie. They're looking forward to Atlanta Athletic Club and Inverness, you know, that that's you know, you know, you saw it in in the media day, it felt like there was more buzz. The USGA had a tremendous, tremendous back-to-back media days. And, you know, they started in, in San Francisco at Olympic, and then the media traveled to Torrey Pines. And the women certainly had felt like had a lot more buzz at Olympic than Torrey. Now, obviously, with Phil Mickelson winning, <laughs> uh, it, it changes things a little bit uh, in terms of pre-event buzz. But, um, but I still think the women are going to hold their own. Well, I give... SGA, who you and I have both praised and criticized at different times. I think we, we've tried to be fair, you and I, with our connections and with what we have written over the last year. A lot on distance um, and the distance reports, and and you have focused a lot on what they're trying to do there as well in different aspects of it. Um, I think that it's clear that there is a concerted effort at the USG to up the standing and the positioning of women's golf. And I think that that will go up even more. And the new CEO is basically put into place, Mike Juan, which it sounds like to me is going to be uh, mid-July. I haven't heard the official sort of kickoff date, but that's what my sources are telling me. Uh, let's get through the U.S. Opens, et cetera, uh, through there. What is What have you heard on the front of the replacement from Mike in terms of like who is going to be taking over if you've heard of anything? And has that process um, been anything negative because we haven't heard who's going to be the next person who's going to be at the head of the LPGA Tour? Yeah, so I wish I had some hot news to share. Um, I am uh, not aware of who the and the the, uh, the person taking the job will be. I, you know, I knew they were down to four. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, Alex Baldwin, president of the Corn Ferry Tour, uh, was high on the list. She, she, I reached out to her, and she confirmed that uh, she's staying at the PGA Tour. Uh, you know, John Padani, who, who you know, used to be both at the PGA Tour and the LPGA, and was a finalist when Mike Wan ran for first. You know, got the commissioner job. I think he's still in the mix. Um, you know, but but I. I think there's a mystery candidate out there that I haven't been able to nail down that uh, that mm-hmm. is 
that is obviously in the mix, and uh, and I, I don't wish I had uh, better news for you. They're keeping it pretty pretty uh, tight. Yeah. You, you would certainly know on that front much more than I do. And I guess my last question on this before we start really getting into the U.S. Women's Open stuff is, that, do you think, all things being equal, it's important that a woman be named the person? Or do you, do you not feel that it's really important that a woman be at the top for the LPGA Tour? You know, I, I'm, I fall on the best candidate for the job camp. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's such a crucial time for the LPGA uh, <laughs> that, you know... I, I, there can't be a lot of back steps right now. So the momentum has to keep moving in the right direction. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'm, I definitely just wanted to be the right person. And, um, and, and, and that's all, that's really all I care about. Yeah. I, I'm right there with you. I think that it would be wonderful if that best person is a woman. Um, I think it would be really good to have that sort of voice out there, but it's nail right on the head where if you want to sustain of missteps. You, you want to have as many good decisions be made, as many positive decisions be made for women's golf as possible. And whoever can make that happen, that's the person that should be given the job. Um, mm. The Olympic club playing that golf course is quite a job. I've had a chance to do it a few times. Um, I was at the U.S. Open in 2012 when Webb Simpson won. And have, I've loved playing it. You were at media day there. What'd you think? You got out there and pegged it up. What, how, how was it? Yeah, I was fortunate enough to, to have a tremendous group. I played with Mike Juan and, uh, <laughs> who actually is the, uh, the, the setup woman for the Osamans open and, and Kay Cockrell has been a member there for, wow. for two decades. And, uh, and she, uh, she was a tremendous host telling us where to go. And, uh, I mean, she's, Shannon actually uh, worked there in college and and uh, met her husband at Olympics. So <laughs> she has a she has a great background herself. But um, but yeah, it was it was fascinating and and you know you know the, it was funny. We were over on on they had a uh, a section of rough plots over right in front of the seventeenth tee where mm-hmm. the superintendent came along at one point with a club and walked a few holes with us and 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 you know where they were throwing balls into these different sections of of rough that were cut at different heights. And, and it was just, you know, cause we were so lucky the ball was sitting up like Olympic played so incredibly tough and there, the rough was not a factor at all. Like it was so easy to hit out of. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm getting beat up and the rough's not even a thing. <laughs> like, I can't imagine what it's going to be like, you know, in a month at that point. Do you know if they're going to have progressive rough there? Because I remember in 2012, that was one of the first venues where for the guys they had, the, the, the system basically of progressive rough. So if you if you hit the fairway, great. If you miss the fairway by, you know, four or five feet, the rough I want to say was cut to like three and a quarter, three and a half. So you're not in a great position, but you're not getting crushed. If you missed it by 10 yards, 15 yards off the tee, you were in cream. It was just absolutely just wedging it out, wrist busting yes. and stuff. Is, is that the theory? that is that it's- sort of how they're going to set it? Um, I don't know how progressive it'll be. I do know that it'll be three and a half, about three and a half inches and tough. Uh, Kay said that, uh, when she recently played Lisa Rice and she had, she had a, 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 another big name group. She's been getting a lot of tours, as you can imagine. And she said on the first week, she's like, look, ladies, if you can't find the ball within like three minutes, we're just going to drop another one. (laughs) Just for pace to play reasons, because the rough was so, so tough. 
So, uh, you know, definitely is going to be a huge factor uh, for, for, for the women. And, um, you know, I mean, I think that, that it'll, well, I will be really interested to see if those spent time with Kay, like say young Kim, Lydia Ko, uh, Gabby Lopez, Austin Ernst, uh, you know, she's had a, a long list of players that have come through Rose Zhang, uh, Caitlin Papp, amateurs as well. Uh, you know, if, if they, how well they play and how much that preview um, pays off. I love the place and the venue. And I think that any kind of recon missions and scouting that players can do at a championship course is, is certainly nothing but positive. Um, just getting a comfort level on a venue where you know it's going to be hard has got to mm -hmm. be a positive thing. Picking the brain of somebody who has got, as you said, you know, 20 plus years of experience playing in that golf course is nothing but a positive thing. Um, one of the things that I love about Olympic the most is that it is the epitome of San Francisco golf to me. Now, San Francisco Golf Club across the way is another one in Labor State. That, that venue and those views, those trees, the whole vibe is strictly Northern California. Like when you see a picture of some of those holes, you know exactly in the world where you are. You're not in the Northeast. You are not in Florida. It just, the hills and the terrain, um, it's one of the most beautiful pictures, you know, courses that, that I think that they can host this on. As you said, venue wise, it's just going to look so good on television for people who may not remember what we had in 2012, or maybe finally sprung for the big screen TV. <laughs> you're going to be so psyched. We kind of thing. Um, what type of player? Well, before I get to what type of player, how many burger dogs did we down? I, the, the, <laughs> I he said the over under was one and a half. And I'll be honest with you. I know that you probably wanted to be on your best behavior as a guest, so you probably wanted to go with the under, but your heart was probably with the over. <laughs> no, I, I just had one at the turn. Ah. <laughs> but no, it was, uh, and it was, it was very delicious. Um, it lived up to its its hype. It's really good. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, in terms of what type of player. Oh, and I'm I'm curious how they'll be selling those because I hope that 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 fans will be able to. Yeah. To get a burger. I mean, that's a tradition. Yeah. I mean, like, but, but yeah, it's, it's for, for people who don't know, like there are different venues and different courses that are sort of known for the food stuff. Um, if you go to Memorial Jack's Nicholas's tournament in Mirfield village in Ohio, the milkshakes are, are the thing that everybody's always sort of talking about. If you go to different places, like they're kind of, there, there is a, there, I think it's two stands on site at the Olympic club where they basically sell what looks like a hot dog, but it's actually, mm -hmm a hamburger that's been sort of molded. And I have a four burger dog mold that they that the wow. club gave me. So we have burger dogs at Casa Dusek every impressive. once in a while. They, I put back a few of those. Um, they, they, were, <laughs> they were impressed with me. Let's just put it that way. Um, what, what kind of women do you think in terms of play and style are, are going to most match up with what we're going to get Olympic? Well, I think, you know, obviously accuracy off the tee is going to be huge. Uh, you know, women who, who can work the ball both ways and hit it high into those greens. Uh, and then a short game. I mean, it's, it is intimidating around those greens, yeah. let me tell you. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I'm really interested. I mean, I look at Sam Kim uh, as, as someone that, um, you know, it would be, would be high, um, you know, Lydia Ko, you know, is is a longer Lydia now. <laughs> Which is taking me a little bit. I'm sorry to jump in, but it's taking me a little bit getting used to the fact that she's hitting the ball noticeably 
Um, yes, and, and, and then I'm still. And still has, you know, her fabulous hands and, and touch around the green. So, um, so you know, I, I'm really interested to see what she does because she's taken quite a bit of time off here since Asia. Uh, she, you know, she's not competing. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and like I said, spent some time with Kay. She loves San Francisco. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of success there. Uh, lo- loves the area. Loves the feel of the place. Um, I think it's going to be an exceptional, epic week. I can't wait. So I'm not wrong in thinking that that women's golf is better off and golf in general is better off when Lydia is playing well. I mean, she was obviously slumping. Um, There were some things that were going on there, but a runner-up finish at Cambridge, runner-up at the ANA, including a 62, which got everybody's attention. And this is where you deserve, I think, candidly, quite a bit of credit the story that you wrote about the lpga tour and women's golf course setups essentially <laughs> got everybody talking for three four five days about let them score essentially and mm-hmm. it was something that we you can put a mark in the sand about when that story came out and the debate and the talk started and then all of a sudden we're seeing women's scores not every single week and certainly not every single player but it's proven out we have seen scores this year where we didn't necessarily see them nearly as much. And you would know that because I know that you ran the numbers. Lydia then wins the load championship the following week after that great performance at the ANA. We're, we're better off with her being sort of in contention and being a name in women's golf, aren't we? A, a thousand percent. I mean, she, she resonates with fans around the globe. You know, I mean, she was such an incredible prodigy. And on top of that, so lovely to deal with. <laughs> that, yeah. that the golf world, you know, fell in love with Lydia and 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 wants her to succeed in, in a massive way. So, you know, I think she's just such a tremendous role model and it's it's fantastic for the LPGA. And and to your point, I'm at the NCAA championship. I actually had a coach come up to me earlier in the week and she said, you know, we took your story to heart. We hosted a tournament shortly after it came out and we we had two reachable par fives and we had a drivable par four and the, the, the women had so much fun. I just love that. You know, I was like, yeah. she's, you know, now they can, they could hit shots and, and play familiar to what they see on TV and, it, and when they watch the men. <laughs> it, it, when I would read that story and I really would encourage people who, who haven't read it to go back up into golfweek.com and, and to check it out. When I read the, the abrupt change that can happen from, Junior golf can have a level of success. They then go and play collegiate golf, and all of a sudden they go from shooting, in many cases, you know, low mid seventies. They're they're playing at a really high level, and now all of a sudden their scoring average goes up by five, seven, ten strokes because they're adding another four or five hundred yards, and the birdies go away. You're all of a sudden grinding out, having to hit, you know, woods into many par fours where you're long clubs, long irons in on par fours, par fives are driver, something, and then a short iron, not like, for example, a sandwich. It's just the math doesn't work. It's not the game that we're used to seeing. It can't be as much fun or as exciting to play. Um, One of the golfers there, yeah, it's supposed to be fun. I mean, I get that the professionals are at the elite level, things change. I mean, there needs to be an aspect of like, we want a challenge to determine who's going to be sort of playing. I have no problem with that. But that doesn't mean that every single time that, you know, women are competing, that they need to be grinding out 
Then it needs to feel like the U.S. Open. <laughs> Every week doesn't need to be the U.S. Open. <laughs> I, I, well, I appreciate what we see. I don't want to see it every single I'm in the camp that loves to see birdies yeah. and eagles. I like to see the um, One of the players that has won a U.S. Open that can certainly bring a hell of a lot of excitement is Michelle Wee. You had an opportunity to spend mm-hmm. some time with her in San Francisco. Um, what is a realistic expectation of Michelle going into this U.S. Open and where she seems like she's very happy right now. She seems like a very contented, happy person which I would translate as like that, that means we can maybe expect some good things, but I don't know if she's just had the number of reps and has played enough right. golf to realistically think like, oh, I expect her to top 10 or top five. Right. I mean, I, I have zero expectations when it comes to Michelle's golf game during the U.S. Women's Open. She, uh-huh. you know, she hasn't played Olympic much at all. Uh, you know, she, she went out with, um, let's see, it was Mel Reed. I believe recently and played, uh, but you know, it's, she plays most of her golf at Lake Merced uh, and, and she really hasn't been able to put in the kind of quality practice that she wants to, because she feels that guilt of wanting to do it all and wanting to be there for McKenna. And she hasn't figured out how to create that balance yet. And so, you know, that's a work in progress and, and that's partly due to COVID. They decided not to get a nanny. And, uh, and, you know, and, and McKenna didn't go to daycare. And so, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a challenge in these times for, for every working mom, you know? And so, uh, you know, I think that Michelle is, is extremely happy though. She's, she has a very different perspective and my takeaway spending time with her in San Francisco and the story that I'm working on to preview the women's open is more focused on what Michelle we means to the game now and how, her time away from the game changed her perspective of her role. And she now serves on the board for the LPGA and will be part of the, the, the team that, that picks the next commissioner and, you know, in her hoodie campaign, obviously, you know, she just has a very different um, view of what she can do. And it's not all about, and she had to be, and players have to be for a certain portion of their career, just selfishly focused on themselves because that's what they're trying to do to become the best in the world. That's what they need to do. And she uh, is in a different place in her life. And I think she can have a tremendous impact in so many other ways. Oh, I completely agree. And I don't think it's fair to think that she will forever be 16 and this phenom that a lot of people are going to always think of her to be. She is married. She has a family. She has life experiences that, you know, have been documented all over the place, whether she wanted them to be or not. She's a major champion. She has won events. Like she has one of the more unique perspectives that can have as a voice on the LPGA tour and for women's not even beyond golf. I think that she can, she's always resonated. She just always has. I mean, I was one of the 6,000 people that watched her try and make and nearly make the U S open when we were at Canoe Brook and it was a thing because she's got that personality and people really are drawn to her. So whatever she can do from this point on candidly from my perspective inside the ropes is is i'm not going to say it's gravy because i think that she wants a little bit more than that i don't think she wants to go out there from talking to you and reading the things that you've written she's not going out there just on a whim i think that there there probably is a plan that i i certainly don't know about but 
I'm just appreciative of the fact that she's out there and she's doing it. I, I think it's fantastic. And um, I, I I agree. And she she wants to win. Look, she wants to she wants to play well. You know, it's that it's just still that, that part never changes. <laughs> yeah, you don't stop being a competitor just because you have a family. Like that part is right. always going to be there. So um, Paula Creamer gets a special exemption to play in the U.S. Women's Open. Um, obviously, Bay Area native, huge San Francisco Giants fan. I've talked with her about that. Um, Hasn't real well. She she just played last week, so mm-hmm. as you're listening to this, it will be about a week and a half ago. She missed the cut. She sat 76, 74 at the Pure Silk, but that was her first start, if I'm not mistaken, since October 2019. Uh, if we don't know what to expect and don't really have any realistic expectations for Michelle Wee, what the hell are we supposed to think about Paula Creamer? Who <laughs> I personally have zero problem with a former U.S. Women's Open champion from that area getting the exemption. Barring her physically not being able to play and telling somebody at the USGA, like, look, I can't do this. You know, this is just not going to happen. Right. If she wanted to play in this event, she was always going to be able to play in this event, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. You know, she she's, uh, as you mentioned, the 2010 US Women's Open champion at Oakmont. Uh, mm. and, and her exemption ran out last year uh, in Houston, and she, she chose not to play. And, and, you know, I, I, I definitely think she deserves an exemption. And, you know, I, like you, I have no expectations that she's going to come out there and do something special. Uh, I, I, you know, I won't she's just happy to be there because, again, she's a competitor. <laughs> she nice. wants to play the weekend. But, um, but only, only the one the one rep, she, you know, is, isn't in the match play event. So... You know, it's just, it really gives you, honestly, an even greater appreciation for what Annika did <laughs> coming back after wow. 13 years and making the cut at Lake Noda. I mean, she's, she's, I mean I'm really, pretty sure she's an alien. I'm pretty sure that at some point or another, you know, we're going to discover that she actually is in this cryogenic chamber at her house at Lake Nona. <laughs> she, she's some kind of an alien. She is a different Kind of, but you, you bring up Annika and you bring up now, you know, we, I brought her up and you talked about her because I asked you to Paula Creamer who wins at Oakmont. Um, Michelle, Wee wins her U S women's open at Pinehurst Pinehurst. Number two, mm-hmm. um, Annika wins her U S women's open. You know, it, she won at Newport. Um, her we're last going one. to Olympic, her last one. I, I said she won one of them. She's, <laughs> will, will the Olympic club be considered sort of like a, when I talk, well, when I talked to Paula Creamer about this, I had a chance to go to lunch with her years ago. Went to PJ Clark's in New York City, great burger joint. If you ever have the chance to go, now that we can go back to restaurants. And I and I told her, I said, you know, not only did you win the U.S. Women's Open, which is amazing, you won it at Oakmont. That one, to a lot of people, gets like a little more glint in the eye. You get like a little yeah. bonus star, not to sort of take it away from any other ones, but like for the guys, I've asked the men this: like, if you win a U.S. Open at Pebble Beach or at Oakmont or at Shinnecock, some of the real pedigree places. There's almost like a little bonus that goes with that one. Will Olympic, do you think, potentially get that bonus? I, I personally think it should. Um, oh, a thousand percent. Yeah, for yeah. multiple reasons. Not just, right? It's the first U.S. Women's Open at Olympic, the first mm-hmm. big women's championship period at Olympic. So that's that's a big deal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think that even when I'm writing a story, right, I'm never going to say that Paula Creamer is just a U.S. Women's Open champion. I'm always going to say somewhere in there that it was at Oakmont, you 100%. know, and that's 
that's not the case with every every women's open every time i put that modifier in you know i'm not necessarily going to say which and 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 that's just i it's i don't even know it that, is it is it's just the way it is and that's why this venue rotation is so important for every major championship that's why the women going to Muirfield is important uh, you know it's it's huge okay so let me let me ask you this because i've i've been a pro that the usga set up a rota for the men of probably about mm-hmm. six to nine courses that should immediately come right to mind for all of us. This is where the U.S. Opens are going to be played. And um, the courses I'm talking about, for example, are Shinnecock, Pebble, Oakmont, um, Pinehurst, Pine number Hurst. two, especially. I'm sorry? Pinehurst, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's those kind of places. And with all due respect, we're not going back to Chambers Bay. Aaron Hills, and you know, I think that you could include if you wanted to, although people are very mixed emotions about it. But but I think the Tory Pines is in that mix because of the Tiger and because historically, sort of what it means. Like I get that, but I, th- there should be a set rota. You've talked about the importance of the venues for the women. If if we went ahead and said like, okay, these are going to be the USGA's U.S. Open courses for men and women, does that help or hurt or not really do anything for the women? If we're going to the and those ones exclusively. Um, I think if 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 you're going to set up a rota and you're going to say to, uh, for example, Pebble Beach, we're going to bring the U.S. Open to you every X number of years, but w- we also want you to have the Women's Open these number of years as well. <laughs> like I feel like it could set up for a tremendous package deal uh, where the women get more time at at you know, open road of courses than they would otherwise. And so that, I think that huge, and, that, and geographically, you know, I thought what, what they did this year with Olympic and, and Tori with the combined back-to-back media days, anytime you could do something like that where it might not be at the same venue, but it's in the same yep. area, um, I think certainly, um, you know, draws uh, draws a little more attention. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to list off, so I'm looking at the U.S. Women's Open Future Venue sites on the USGA's website, and obviously this year we're at the Olympic Club. Next year, Pine Needles, which certainly the LPGA Tour. Um, Pebble Beach, 2023. Lancaster Country Club, 2024. And then Aaron Hills, 2025, which will be very odd. Um, and I know that, like, I don't really want to spend a lot of time, but that one was a smashers course. We get, you know, Brooks Koepka. You know, hitting 300 yard three woods. They stretched it out. The guys still punished it. Um, that to me will be a very interesting. And we're a long way away from that. But but that roster of courses should be fun. Mm. I'd love to see the women at Shinnecock. I would love to oh, see yeah. the women. At, I would love to see the women at Brookline. I would love to see the women at L, at, at LA Country Club. Um, some of these venues that are historically that to have the women play a major in Los Angeles. Um, yeah, Marion, or, or or have the women play at like Riviera or Bel Air or something like that. I mean, it, to me, setting that up would would be great. It's the venues that we as fans love. I've never heard players come off and be like, you know what, Pebble Beach is no, it's not. It's I, you know, we we shouldn't be playing the U.S. Open here at Pebble. Are you kidding me? Right. The same thing. Yeah. Like, it, you know, based on the weather and the course setup, like having the women at Shinnecock would be unbelievable. The women at Winged Foot, Winged Foot. would be off the charts great it'd be fantastic mm. um 
last couple things before I let you go. Is Nelly Corder right now playing the most consistent of any of the American players? Yes, uh, for sure. Um, you know, and and you just feel like she's she's due, right? I mean, she's still yeah. for a big one, for a big one, and um, she's still young. She's still young, so it's not like you know anyone needs to hit a panic button or anything. But um, but it just it just feels it's like it's time. Yeah. It's so. Time. So, you know, what better place than Olympic? <laughs> well, I mean, and that was going to sort of be my thing right now is is who sort of feels like it's time. I realize this is a little bit because she's already got a major, but Lexi Thompson, I'm sort of feeling the same thing. Mm-hmm. She had a couple of nice finishes towards the late winter, early spring. I mean, she T2'd at Greenbridge, you know, almost got it there at Kia, where she, where she also tied for second there since she got into April and now into May, which doesn't necessarily mean anything. We just had Phil Mickelson, you know, when the PG not even ranked in the top 100 in the world while um who sort of needs to be there on sunday afternoon a little bit more in your mind lexi or nelly i i I mean if the other one's going to shoot for example and end up like like t50 and not be kind of a factor which one do you think like yeah kind of needs to step up here a little bit well i mean obviously the the having another major is, has been, it's been a long time for Lexi Thompson. Long time. It has. And, That's and why it's I asked. That he only, that she only has one. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, uh, I, I think she, you know, the, the sense of urgency maybe is, is certainly greater. It feels like around Lexi than Nellie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, in, in a way, I don't even really feel like the spotlight's on her that brightly right now. I mean, I won't, I'm not, she's not an afterthought by any means, but she's, she's gone down the list here on, you know, so many, we've had so many players have great comeback stories and, you know, it, it's just, it just seems like, uh, you know, she's up a mind these days, I guess we'll put it that way. And And that's the reason why I sort of ask is, is that if we had backtracked, you know, 2016 2017 she's played in so many of these things now you almost take for granted that well she should already have this um, right you know, oh, exactly exactly and, and, then, and then every time i'm watching nelly you ask you know i ask you like okay well who does this favor like well it'd be great to be long off the tee and, and hit some fairways okay um that that's always usually a, a nice thing to do to be able to do short game okay nelly checks like the boxes you know, and I was sort of like looking around at the axis. You know, she's she's two seventy five off the tee, and she hits seventy five percent of the fairways. That would be fantastic. You know what? Depending yeah. on exactly what's going to happen with the weather, and we don't know exactly how long the course is going to play, but we can presume San Francisco is heavy air. You're probably not going to see a lot of roll. You know, I know that the USGA is going to want to quicken it up as much as they can, but beer is in San Francisco what it is. It's heavy. The ball is just not going to carry, and. I'm looking for a reason not to love Nelly's chances. And then I see Lexi's got the same, but maybe there's a little bit more scar tissue. Maybe. Oh, it's just, yeah. And so to me, it's like, if Nelly can actually come through and do this, it vaults her up in my mind, I think quite a bit. I mean, you know, basically at the top, you know, for the, I think she's number two right now in the money list. I think she's number one in the CME race. Um, but if she basically throws a little bit of a line down there and says like, okay, amongst the American players, like I I'm at the top of the list right now, doesn't she? 
for sure. I mean, I, I, I mean, for, for, for Nelly, I mean, you just, you, it's just a, a mental barrier at this point, right? She, it, you know, mm-hmm. she has all the tools. It's just a matter of, of, of getting it done. And, and when you want something so badly, figuring out how to still get it done. And so I think that's seemingly where she is. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Angela Stanford recently, uh, and about Michelle. And of course, Angela and Michelle are both assistant captains for the Solheim Cup with Pat Hurst. And uh, and I was I was talking to her for my Michelle Wee story that I'm working on. And, and she, when I won a major, it was like, oh, finally, you know, now we've got that done. You know, let, let move. When Michelle won a major, it was like finally. Now go win another one. You know, this <laughs> is a totally different mindset. You know, because we all thought that that Pinehurst was going to open the floodgates for Michelle. You know, and right. what what a mentality. You know, between being a superstar prodigy. You know, and and and, and insatiable attitude that fans have toward wanting more, 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 you know? And I feel like that would be the same with Nellie. Nellie wins a major, you know, now we're ready to crown her, you know, we're ready to crown her Serena Williams with, you know, (laughs) with with Venus and and Jessica. (laughs) I think it's, I I think you hit it. Like, you know, that, that we have come to expect, you know, in our sports society today that always win. Like there is which in some ways discredits and really disrespects the quality and the depth of the rest of the field, you know, it's mm-hmm. th- there are a lot of women out there who are working their tail off to try and win these events. And at the end of the day, only one person wins. And, you know, two or three times a year, that's a hell of a good year. If you win for many of these women who have not won before, like that's, that's a literally a life changing event. I'll leave you with mm-hmm. one of these things though. Cause obviously Nellie, it's, it's a story that's been beaten into the ground. The fact that her father was a professional tennis player and he was a major champion. Um, I was covering tennis when Petercorda was, you know, a dominant player, never a world number one. Um, he was always a very well-respected, grinded out, mentally tough kind of guy. He wins his own the day in 1998. I wanted to look it up because he turned pro in 1987. So it was 11 mm-hmm. years from the time he turned pro to when he finally breaks through and he wins his Australian. And we thought like, okay, well, this this could be kind of it. Like his game translates and he's going to give some people some problems. Unfortunately, he's going up against Pete Sampras and Andre Agassi mm-hmm. and Boris Becker and Yvonne Lendl is still hanging around there. And, and it's historically significant players there. And I mention this because he is uniquely qualified to give his daughter advice on the grinding it out. If you don't win, like the fact that like, mm-hmm. okay, you're putting in this work and you're not getting these prizes that get handed out only a couple times a year. It's nice to to win. It's nice to come up second. And certainly your accountant loves it when, when you're getting lots of top threes, top fives. You know, they love it even more when you win. Yes, it's like, okay, he's a professional athlete. She's a professional athlete. There's that part. It wasn't like he was Pete Sampras. He wasn't. Right. He would be the first person to admit that. He won one. It didn't open up the floodgates. Um, but there aren't too many parents who can, from firsthand experience, tell their kids yeah, it's year eight of your professional career and you still haven't cracked it, but you don't give up on this. You still keep doing the process. You keep looking to refine the weaknesses and hone the strengths and do all the things that professional golfers would do. But now she actually gets to hear this. And, you know, she the fact that she's got a, a sibling that's out there doing it alongside her, I think personally would help because you're not lonely. Um, mm. 
the golf is a great lifestyle and you know very well that like it's a lot of hotel rooms especially during the age of covid and eating room service and not doing a hell of a lot um i just think it's interesting as i wanted to look it up it was 11 years from he turns pro until the time he actually wins um it will not be 11 years before you are back on the forward press podcast lfa <laughs> no absolutely not enjoy your time out in san francisco it's perhaps my favorite city in the world i love it <laughs> one of the best golf cities in the united states so beth ann nichols thank you very much for coming on the forward press thank you david <laughs>